Hello, everyone. I am your host, Olivia Alvarez. And today's show is super exciting because I have a very special guest with me today. He is a super wonderful human who loves history. He is also the founder of Realm Comics with a graphic novel in the works. Please welcome my baby brother, Jeremy Alvarez. Jeremy, what's up, dude? Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jeremy. We will be discussing food during various wars throughout history. But before we get into war, food, and history, I'm going to ask you a few questions first, if that's all right. Sure thing. (laughs) Awesome. So you are a fan of comic books, anime, etc. Was that inspiration for you to start a comic book company? Yeah, it was a really inspiration to start a comic book company because I would always read comic books when I was a little kid. Also, I would watch anime shows like Pokemon and also um, I also watched some episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh! And I got inspired by that. Nice. Yeah, I never watched Yu-Gi-Oh! I watched Pokemon quite a bit since we were like early 2000s, 90s kids. Oh yeah, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) But that's really neat. Was there a particular comic book or comic book artist or somebody like Stan Lee who inspired you also? Stan Lee, he's a really good author and writer of um, Marvel Comics and he has inspired me and also he's inspired many different people all over the world. That's really cool. And I know you met him, uh, what was it, like two years ago? I believe so. Yeah, I think it was in uh, 2007, I believe. Once in 2017. I mean, 2017. Okay, yeah. yeah. That was at Anime Expo. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, I'm sure a lot of people are super jealous. Because <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> yeah. he was a legend, right? Yeah. <laughs> and where do you see your company going? Where do you envision your business going in the next 10 years obviously you want growth yeah i I do want growth in this company what i do see myself envisioning in the next 10 years is to help grow it to a point where i can work with um production studios to help make movies out of it or or if so make a tv show out of it if i want if i can get to that point that's really cool that's a really big goal to have honestly and that's really exciting. I really, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of you and I would love to see you grow and thrive and have all these movies, like be the next Marvel, if not bigger. Uh, thanks, big sis. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So you're starting a graphic novel. Can you give me a name of the graphic novel and a brief description without giving too much away? Oh, yeah, sure thing. The graphic novel that I'm working on right now is called The Skull Reaper. And what it's mainly about, it's about spirituality and about looking into the spirit world from a humanized version of the Grim Reaper. I'm really excited for it to be complete because I know that you had just finished the script and that's really, really exciting. And so... You started up a comic book company. Do you also see yourself signing on different writers, different authors, different artists to start their own particular comic book, graphic novel under your name? Yeah, I do see other writers and artists co- coming into my company, but right now I'm all I'm always looking for like the people that would want to join me and take on and take under the company just to help grow not just the company but also themselves as well. 
That's pretty cool. I like that you support others as well as, you know, bringing yourself up in the midst of all of this. That's really neat. And I think that's really special. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. What piqued your interest in history versus any other subject? Like why history? History helps to give a better understanding of our past and to help us not repeat the bad things that we have done in life. Right, because history has a tendency of repeating itself. Oh, de- definitely. <laughs> yeah, so it it's repeating itself right now as we are in a pandemic and shit's going nuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so do you ever study different versions of history since we were taught the American version? Because I know everybody all around the world has their own versions. We obviously have our own version. So do you ever dabble into those versions, different versions? Yeah, I, I do dabble into different versions. Like, for example, I learned a little bit about the French Revolution just to see what prompted them to revolt against the French government, the French king at the time. That's really cool. I mean, that's something that we don't really learn about as Americans in history. We learn a brief, just a small, tiny bit of it from what I remember, because I didn't really pay too much in history class. <laughs> but we learn a brief Right. It's only a short, a small amount of the French Revolution, but not in its entirety because we are not French. We are American. Exactly. (laughs) What is your favorite part of history to educate someone about? Uh, I like to educate people about uh, World War Two a lot because World War Two was basically the biggest conflict that that the world had to face within Within the 20th century, it was the biggest war of all time, but it wasn't just that. It it affected millions of people all over the world. Right, and it's one of the most recent wars that had happened. My next question is pertaining to our subject that we're talking about. Why is it important to feed soldiers well during war? The reason why it's important to feed soldiers during war is because without feeding your soldiers really well, no battles or no wars would be won. I agree with that because you're preventing all these people from dying, (laughs) so to speak, right? (laughs) Yeah, correct. (laughs) Yeah, so you want to keep them well fed. You want to provide them with the proper amounts of food and such. Oh, definitely, (laughs) yeah. And plus, with all the best nutritions to give to our soldiers on the front lines and to also and also with in other countries as well, like they always make sure to keep their soldiers well fed and well nutritioned just to make sure that they're surviving the next day. And this whole topic that we're talking about today, the food in war, like the history of food in wars, was it was inspired by various recipes from the Civil War. And I was familiar with some of these. Of course, I would remember only the food part of the Civil War. I, when I was in elementary school, I believe I was in the second or third grade, my class had taken a trip out to this farm that reenacted Civil War, I don't know, (laughs) reenactments. So I, what stood out to me was not like all the, the clothing or the war scenes. It was, of course, the food. Obviously, I just love food and I love the recipes. So one of them being hardtack. Hardtack is basically a hard bread or i'd like to call it a thick ass cracker (laughs) made up of flour water and sometimes salt and in some cases i I read up in different versions online that it sometimes had fat in it but you 
think otherwise. Um, I'm not really sure if it was made out of fat, but for what I do know, it's made with water, flour, and salt. And that's just it. And it's baked for a really long time just to dry it out. <laughs> right. And when stored properly and made properly, it can be kept forever. Oh, yeah. And plus, from what I learned, too, that at a museum somewhere where they store a bunch of hardtack, there's this one hardtack that's been stored for over 100 years. That's fascinating. Where is that located? I'm not really sure where it's located, but I do know that there's a heart attack that, for what they believe, that they've stored it for over 100 years now. That's so crazy. I can't, I, I would imagine if you were to bite into it that your teeth would just break. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> or something like that. Next up on my list, I have salt pork. So salt pork is basically salted and brined pork belly that is preserved to keep for a long period of time. And it's supposed to be washed when ready to be eaten. And it was mostly made in like stews, roasts, or oftentimes it was fried so it could become edible. Are you by any chance familiar with salt pork? Oh, yeah, I am really familiar with salt pork, but, but it, it's really co- good to do that during the war just so you can preserve it through long periods of time. And plus, it's good to preserve it for long periods of time during the winter time, once when food is very scarce. Exactly. So when when you had mentioned the winter months and such, I also have another, not necessarily like a recipe, but things that they were consuming during the Civil War. And it was soups and stews. They were also popular to feed large amounts of people at a very low cost in the wintertime. Oftentimes that hardtack can be thrown into your soup and eaten, kind of like dumplings in a way, and to soften it so that you won't break your teeth. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And that's definitely true. Yeah, you can throw it in soup. And I have seen a YouTube video once where somebody used hardtack to to throw it into like milk, I believe. Oh, interesting. And just to soften it up. Yeah, just soften it up. I don't know how it would taste like, but I I wouldn't want to try it that way. Yeah, I wouldn't want to try bread and milk. But I mean, when you're hungry, you got to eat, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No matter what it is. I know we had briefly discussed the nutrients that you have to provide your soldiers with. Was it difficult for soldiers in earlier wars to receive the proper nutrients to prevent malnutrition? Well, back in the day, it was really hard for to feed the soldiers the proper nutrition because they had to travel with that food through hundreds of miles if they were invading enemy territory, and they couldn't really store it in a refrigerator because it wasn't invented at that time. So they had to figure ways to preserve meat or even to figure a way to properly store vegetables and stuff and grains. Right, and it was obviously trial and error, so that's why they finally got it right. In the later wars. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so now I can say that we are 100%, we've evolved when it came to providing soldiers with the proper food. So thank God for that, right? Yeah, thank God for that. (laughs) And I was reading up on a couple of facts. According to history.com, during the age of the Roman legions, it was told that for an army, you would have to kill 120 sheep a day or 60 hogs for meat ration. And that's, I believe, to feed like 4,000 men. Oh, wow. That's quite a stretch, and I can't imagine trying to hunt down that amount a day for these 4,000 men. I would probably like go and fetch all these men to go and 
kind of do do their own hunting themselves and be like, hey, that's your food for the month here. You go ahead and preserve that shit. <laughs> and in the 17th century, the Ottoman Empire consumed biscuit or bread, lamb, mutton, honey, coffee, rice, and they would feed their horses barley. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that... I wouldn't think about, obviously, I'm not fighting in a war in the 17th century, but you also had to feed your animals. Mm -hmm. That's true. So people would typically use their horses for traveling, or what would they use their horses for exactly? Yeah, they, they would use their horses for traveling, but they would also use their horses for transportation of heavy loads of stuff like cannons or even large amounts of food that they carry on their uh, carriages. Interesting. I'm obviously, like I said, I don't, don't, I don't know jack shit about history, so that's why I ask you all these questions. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm here. I'm here to teach everybody. Right, and that's you're you're educating me in the process. <laughs> <laughs> so I also read that Napoleon's army had French rations of 24 ounces of bread, half a pound of meat, an ounce of rice, or two ounces of beans, which can also include peas, etc. Hmm. A quart of wine some brandy and vinegar and they oftentimes would use vinegar to kill off all the bacteria and also clean their gut keep their gut healthy which i think is neat that they give them vinegar for that yeah. like how'd they figure that out yeah how did they figure that out <laughs> yeah <laughs> and war food eventually became packaged and a bit more developed with the c rations k rations and the mre meals yeah, like that's that's really good that we have that type of stuff nowadays to help keep our soldiers well fed. It's a lot more efficient when you have all these meals prepackaged so you can just send them off with your soldiers and they can go out and provide, you know, they don't have to like go out and hunt their own meals like it's all prepared for them. I think there's honestly a, a, like a boatload of calories in those MREs probably. <laughs> I'm sure. And you can also get your hands on any of the MRE meals if you see, if you find them. You can find them on eBay, right? Or you can even go to your local army surplus store and find them there. Yeah, you, you can find them in, on eBay probably and also at a bunch of army surplus stores. <laughs> and I know that different ration meals vary from different countries as well. Like the American ration meals are way different from Germany's ration meals or different parts of the world. Do you know of any MRE meals that are very different from the American MRE meals today? Not really. No, not really. But um, I've seen a video once of a MRE that was from probably the 60s, I believe. Oh, cool. And um, it was basically all metal that had probably some type of canned meat with basically canned of canned bread and also all kinds of other drinks with it as well like coffee right yeah yeah coffee as well <laughs> oh okay what are some experiences from different wars that soldiers experienced with food well one of the things that i could say is that during world war ii you did have a lot of soldiers being fed by workers working in the trenches with them and there were about hundreds of thousands of workers feeding our soldiers in the trenches and they would feed them a lot of food no kidding yeah world war one soldiers that would be in the trenches would be fed like a certain a certain ounces of meat a day or even certain ounces of vegetables a day but later on in the war 
of World War One. There was a f- massive food shortage during that war. And what did the shortages include? Like today, for instance, we're in a pandemic in America and there are various meat shortages. What did they experience then? Was it also meat shortages as well? Oh, yeah, there was meat shortages, grains, and also vegetable shortages as well. Mm -hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because it's it's something that we walk into a grocery store every, I mean, not me, not every single day, but we walk into a grocery store at least once a week and we just expect things to be there, right? Because that's what we're used to. We're, we expect to see a full stock shelf of cans, canned goods, or a stocked produce or stocked meat, etc. And that's pretty scary once when you see the shelves a little empty. So I'd say we're a little spoiled when it comes to that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And plus, yeah, today we can just go to our grocery store and do and just grab something off the shelf that we need and just go home and go about our day and go about our day. But in but back in the day, once when we were just hunters, we had to hunt for our own food and and we had to go with our bow and arrow or even our spears just to hunt down either a deer or an elk or or even a buffalo. Yeah, just to keep ourselves fed. Also, I know it was in, I forget which movie it was or which TV show or I don't know what I saw, but was there also a shortage of gum? Because I think in a particular show or so, like I said, I, I have like a glimpse of something where it was like a woman looking at like these shelves during like a war period and the gum was all empty. Was there some sort of like gum shortage or candy shortage of some sort or no? I'm not really sure about gum. I mean, gum was a part of the MREs for the soldiers during the war, but I'm not really sure if there was a gum shortage. Okay. Yeah, I was just making sure because, like I said, for some weird reason that whenever I think of shortages, I just think of a time in like World War II or something that there's a gum shortage. But I don't know where I, I don't know why that's stored in my brain, why that's in my subconscious. I'll have to look it up later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any other facts that you'd like to share from various wars? That uh, yeah. are pertain that pertain to food. Yeah, uh, I would like to show some. I like to share some facts. Okay. One of the things that I have known is um, the truce of 1914, when the British and the Germans both got together, sang a Christmas song, "Silent Night," and they would trade chocolate and champagne together. That's nice. I like those gifts. I'd like to get some champagne as a gift <laughs> for Christmas. That sounds nice. And chocolate. <laughs> yeah, that's very nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I've also no- noticed is that um, it, it may not be like towards war, but one of the things that I actually have learned that is really interesting is um, the European diets from medieval times. Okay. One of the best things I've known is that I heard that the medieval diet was actually much more healthier than compared to today. No kidding. Yeah. And what what does it consist of, their diet? It would mainly consist of um, a lot of meat, a lot of bread, some, some vegetables here and there that were cooked, not raw. And I know that at one point in time, you and our brother, our older brother, was obsessed with like the Spartan, what was it? Not the Spartan diet, but the Spartan workout or something like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because you guys were obsessed with three hundred. Was oh, there yeah. a certain diet that they were on? 
Because those guys look jacked in the movie. <laughs> like, super freaking jacked. I don't know if that was, you know, historically accurate, but I don't know what they were eating, and I would like to know. Hmm. I think for the real Spartan warriors, they would eat meat. They would eat meat, grain, and probably some vegetables at that time. And when it came to drinking, they would only drink one glass of wine because they knew that alcohol was bad for their bodies. Interesting. Yeah, and plus, they is because they were dominantly a military state, huh. the Spartans. Interesting. And uh, one of the facts that I would like to share that doesn't pertain to war, but it pertains to history, is that um, a lot that the pharaohs back in ancient Egypt helped to invent uh, sherbet ice cream for what it is today. Interesting. So it's like rainbow sherbet is what we know today. Yeah. <laughs> what What was the flavor like, or what? How did that come about? I'm not really sure how it came about, but um, it was basically crushed ice mixed with um, some type of fruit juice, like apple, ap- like apples and apricot, or even peaches and pears. That sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds really delicious. Where do they get ice from? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. But but the pharaohs would give it to their to their visitors that would come. Nice. I'd be like, hey, don't tell anybody about the ice machine back here. <laughs> the aliens brought it for us. <laughs> What's another fact that you'd like to share? One of the other facts that I would like to share, too, is that we all know hummus, right? Yep. Hummus is very delicious and that it also came from the Middle East. From, uh, from what I've learned, it came from Egypt and that Egypt would trade some hummus or chickpeas with the Greeks. And that's how the Greeks got some hummus as well. <laughs> that's really cool. That's really interesting. And I know that here in America, hummus has gained popularity like no other in the past couple of years. So it's crazy how it like was traded over there. And then now America has it. That's really neat. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. And plus hummus, it's very delicious. <laughs> yeah, I know you like hummus. <laughs> Especially the sun-dried tomato hummus. Oh, man, it's good. (laughs) And one of the other facts that I like to share is that a lot of the um, European nobles would eat a lot of meat, but the meat would vary, though. It's very interesting. Sometimes they would have whales. Sometimes they would have um, wild game pheasant, I believe. And also they would have deer and, and even a whole bunch of other wild game animals that a lot of us didn't even know about yeah i wouldn't even know the first thing of hunting a whale it's very sad nowadays though well yeah i wouldn't i can't even imagine eating a whale right now but that's sad. that's that's interesting i mean you you gotta eat right yeah exactly <laughs> and uh one, one of the other things i found interesting about medieval europe was that they would have a suckling pig mm. which i think in you know what suckling pig is isn't it like the crispy pig oh no <laughs> oh no not the crispy pig is is it somewhat similar to the duck not not really no no okay we'll uh, explain <laughs> well suckling pig it's kind of sad um suckling pig is when um roast a pig when it's still suckling on the the mom's oh my god how sad so they're little baby pigs yeah oh my god oh my god yeah sorry to bring that fact up no it's okay my my brain hurts now (laughs) god that's horrible it's almost as bad as eating veal (laughs) okay well those are all very interesting yet sad facts that you had brought up to me yeah sorry about that (laughs) no you're fine you're fine i mean i'd like to learn but that's really sad (laughs) so i would like to transition into a true or false game would you like to play sure thing (laughs) 
So I have five cards pertaining to food, and you have to guess whether it is true or false. So you ready to get started? Sure thing. I'm ready. Okay. True or false? Baby carrots are grown the same as regular size carrots. True or false? False. Yeah, you're correct. False. Baby carrots are regular sized carrots, and then they are cut down. <laughs> so you got one right so far. Let's see how much more. All right. Mountain Dew is partly made of orange juice. Not enough to say false. That's actually true. What? True. It is made from concentrated orange juice. That's Holy a fact that I never knew. Wow. <laughs> Interesting, right? How so you can't say that you're not having your vitamin C when you're drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. 50% carried E. coli and 72% of coliform bacteria can be found on the average grocery cart. True or false? I would have to say true. It's absolutely correct. True. So whenever you're pushing around your grocery cart, make sure you wipe that shit down with the Lysol wipe. Sure if thing. you can find any Lysol wipes now. <laughs> sure <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Figs sometimes contain wasps. I would have to say that is true. That is true. Female wasps occasionally lay eggs inside of figs, and sometimes they may get stuck inside of the figs, causing them to die and decompose. So oh, be God. careful when you eat some figs. Sure thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you got three right so far. Here's your last one. Consuming grease is the main acne trigger. True or false? I would have to say that one is false. Damn, you're good. False. <laughs> Do you know what is? Take a wild guess at what you can consume that can cause an acne trigger. Just name something. Uh, man, I, I have no I have no clue. <laughs> you have no clue? It says that carbs are the leading cause for acne breakouts. What? Yeah. I know. Everyone always says, like, oh don't you don't eat all that grease. Don't eat all that that fried chicken. It's gonna cause acne triggers. No, it's carbs. That's oh, really damn. sad because I'm a fan of carbs. Damn. All right, everyone. That's the end of the show. Jeremy, I would like to thank you for being a guest on the Fat Ass Podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me on here. Yeah, it was fun talking about history and food with you. I mean, I learn something new from you every single day when you tell me. And like I always say, like, I don't care about history, but I always care when you tell me. Well, thank you. <laughs> for sure. And good luck with your comic book and your comic book company. Well, thank you so much. Thank of course. You. Yeah. Any parting words that you'd like to say? Well, I guess I have to say... Once when the comic book is released, I hope all of you enjoy it. If you look out for Realm Comics or what is the name of your graphic novel that's in the works right now? That's uh, the uh, Skull Reaper comic. Yeah, look out for the Skull Reaper comics in the future. He's probably going to be at either Anime Expo or what's the big one in San Diego? Uh, Comic-Con. Comic-Con. Find him at Comic-Con <laughs> when we have Comic-Con again. <laughs> If you'd like to see what I'm up to next, follow the podcast Instagram at FatAssPodcast. You can also find me on Facebook or on Twitter at FatAssOfficial. Also, please leave me a review if you are listening on Apple Podcast. I'm your hungry host, Olivia, and thank you for joining me today. Stay hungry. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>